Welcome to today's episode of the Women in MedTech podcast. I'm Colleen Patterson, your host, and with us is Barbara Strain, Abby Norfleet, and Stephanie Pitts. A few episodes ago, we had the opportunity to learn a little bit more about Barbara and Stephanie's stories. And this is the time in which we're going to finish up with the, with our other two, which is both myself and Abby, uh, learning a little bit more about what has got what got us into the position that we're in today. And, you know, maybe some of our thoughts of the direction that this year is moving in. So I'm going to say, because it's me talking, Abby, let's start with you. <laughs> Uh, I love being the guinea pig or, uh, you know, I should have stolen being able to do the intro first this time, but thank Colleen. Um, So again, it's an honor to be here, uh, especially with the three of you. And and thank you again for including me in in this fantastic group. I've had a great time uh, in what we got started in 2023. And I'm looking forward to really what we're going to do in 2024. Um, Those of you listening, uh, Colleen hit the record button just a tad too late as we were already capturing some pretty cool conversations that I'm looking forward to expounding upon a little bit further in the future. So, um, but with that, obviously I like to delay talking about myself for as much as I possibly can. Uh, It is not something I have ever uh, been extremely comfortable doing and still not something I'm, I'm overly comfortable or confident in doing now. Um, but still here to do it. And and thank you for giving me the platform and the ability to share my story a little bit. So I have actually been in the industry. It's kind of crazy when you start thinking back in timelines and and things like that, but I've actually been in the industry for about 12 years now. Um, I've had the luxury and the um, luxury, the (laughs) I've actually had the opportunity to work with some pretty stellar organizations. Um, a few startup organizations, as well as a company, a, a few larger, uh, large scale organizations as well. But my start, uh, just like um, everyone else on this on this um, this panel, did start on the clinical level. So I am a nurse by trade. I, I came directly from the bedside um, a few years ago. But the way that I kind of got started into that is I got a little bit of a late start, I would say, to my overall career, and that would be just getting into nursing in general. Uh, growing up, if you ask anybody in my family, uh, it's something that seemed to come very innately and naturally to me that I like to take care of people, but I also like to ca- take care of animals. I just like to take care of things. I One of my first jobs uh, that didn't require a W-2 was babysitting, um, helping you know look after neighbors' pets, things along those lines. And so it was pretty a natural, pretty progression that once I figured out where I wanted to try to pay my bills from, nursing was something that kind of fell into my lap. And so I went to nursing school with the intent, actually thinking that I wanted to be a nurse midwife. Um, at that point, I had had my son and a nurse midwife was who I worked with the most during that process. And it was such an inspiring situation that I said, you know what, I think that that's what I want to do. And so that's really why I went to nursing school. I uh, get into my first uh, semester of um, women's health and labor and delivery, and no offense to the wonderful clinicians that chose that path, I realized very quickly it was not for me. <laughs> and uh, it just was kind of one of those things where I said, you know what, I there was a lot of aspects that I just didn't think about that didn't interest me as much as other avenues of nursing did and uh, didn't didn't quite put the pep in my step the way other things did. So I was talking to one of my instructors, one of my my mentors, and I told him, I just said, I I, th- I think my path is probably going to change. He said, well, you still have got to get through nursing school, but I always had you pegged as kind of more of a critical care trauma junkie 
Um, and he actually helped get me into my internship on the trauma unit at our at, at the hospital that we were doing our rotations in. And that's basically how I ended up finishing out my nursing um, education and then actually getting a job at, on the neurosurgical ICU of the hospital that I worked in. And I absolutely loved it. And he was absolutely right. Um, the adrenaline rush with being able to still have kind of that total care of the patient from head to toe that critical care brings mm -hmm. and being able to use your critical thinking skills when you're looking at the overall picture of the patient, yet pair that into the high, high paced. And I please excuse the train in the background if you, you can hear it. Um, but um, being able to combine those, all of those skills together while totally taking care of somebody as well as their family um, was something that really appealed to me and that I that I truly fell in love with. Um, I was very lucky right when I got into that or got that opportunity was when the big nurse residency programs were becoming a thing. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these clinical nurse specialists and educators had started pouring into research of what it was to create a residency program for new graduate or um, still newly experienced nurses to give them those opportunities and really give them a good foundation and training into these kind of higher paced, higher level, so to speak, areas of nursing. And I was able to get into one of those residency programs. And through that, uh, I felt like almost overnight developed a very strong network of mentors and leaders that kind of helped guide me along my path a little bit. So there used to be, I don't hear it near as often anymore, which I'm just so happy to hear, but there used to be just that notion back in the day that nurses would eat their young and the more established uh, generational nurses would would purposely pick on the, the new grad nurses and kind of make it of a difficult pathway for them. I did not experience that. And, for, and to this day, I'm grateful to the wonderful people that I worked with. Um, and I think I definitely like to attribute a lot of that residency program to that. So through that, one of my um, close friends and mentors, we were talking on the unit one day and I just said, you know, I'm ready for my next step. I just can't decide if that's what that is. Do I want to go and start pursuing a master's? Do I go to another unit? You know, I still had a major passion for caring for babies. So did I want to get into the neonatal ICU? Um, I had talked to uh, members of LifeShare, which is the organ donation organization here in North Carolina, about pursuing roles with them. And I just was looking through several different avenues. And she said, you don't have to decide today. And if you remember, your career is always going to be a little bit of a, um, a, a curvy path. It doesn't have to be a straight line to one thing or the other. But however, you know, I think you should um, come join me and do the per diem education work that I've been doing with this company. And I said, well, tell me more about that. She said, we already use a lot of their products on the unit. So you're familiar with how to do it. Um, and basically, they will sign you up to go help educate nurses in new facilities that they're putting their products into and teach them how to use the equipment. And it gives you a little bit of an outlet while you figure out what you want to do next. So. Already of what I feel like is a long story short, it was while I was on assignment with that company that I ran into the person that would bring me into the fold of my first my first full time job in the medical device industry. 
um, and in, in, in real opportunity. And she was there following up uh, at the same facility I was on her product. Um, and that was actually the Kuros disinfection caps that I was on your other podcast for, or along with, not for that one, but with Bob Rogers with. And I was really intrigued by the product. And I said, I have so many questions. And I, I basically sat her down and asked her a lot of questions. And she gave me her card at the end of our conversation. And she said, look, you know, we're going to be gearing up to add to our team. Um, reach out, you know, let me know. And I was like, oh, well, this is kind of cool. I thought she was really more alluding to more per diem education work, not mm -hmm. a full-time role. So I finally reached out to her uh, about a month or two later. And when she called me back, she said, well, are you interested in a full-time job? And that, that kind of changed the game on me entirely. Because still at that point in time, um, single mom, you know, relying very heavily on a lot of family to kind of, you know, throughout our schedule is working my, my hospital schedule as well as when I would go on assignment and things like that. So I said, I need to go talk to my family and, and just really see what this is all about, which luckily I come from a huge, amazing support system in that regard. Sat down, talked to them about it, said, look, this is something I'd really like to pursue. And they said, you know, go for it. Um, worst case scenario, it doesn't work out. You know, you still love the bedside. You know, you still love the hospital and, and you can you can do that too. So I, with their support, I pursued the interview process and landed that role in um, with Ivera Medical or with the Kuros disinfection caps um, at the time. And that was being one of their clinical directors. And so what I did was help support the sales reps as we were putting the product into each of the facilities and help establishing the process in which that product would help yield the best success, outcome, things along those lines. And by the time we were acquired by another organization, I was running and managing um, our clinical organization. So um, my, uh, I'm still very good friends with her to this day, Christine Army. She had moved into another role within um, the organization and I had taken over running the clinical team. And by the time we were acquired, um, it, I, I had been you know, managing a team of nurses continuing to do this. Um, with that, it's just kind of escalated from there. So I had a wonderful experience in the organization that acquired us and then um, have carried or worn several different hats um, everywhere from starting a clinical team from complete scratch, um, where it was a whole new company and getting that built and getting those processes built to moving into um, indirect sales roles, to uh, a sales role, to managing an overall sales team. Um, dabbled a little bit within uh, expanding into international markets, getting distributors set up on that side of things. Um, and again, all within the scope and space of where this product or technology may not have ever been before. So um, kind of along that, that I'll stop there as uh, Stephanie's <laughs> starting to wave at me and let you guys ask some questions. But that's how I got it, which is where I'm at. Abby, what's so funny is um, I totally would have pegged you as an ICU nurse when you were clinical. So I know we yeah. we haven't talked about our background, but um, I I say that as a compliment because I think of ICU nurses as Thank being you. calm under pressure. They have their stuff together. They're usually pretty organized. They've got control of the situation. Um, so even though we've never talked about that piece <laughs> of it, um, I was excited to hear you say that. So 
Um, thank you for that background. It's long as we've been on the podcast together. Um, I didn't know that. So it's been nice to meet you today, Abby. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, I just wanted to pause you for just a second. Um, one, in case uh, you just needed to catch your breath, but also, thank you. <laughs> you know, one of the things I think that's so challenging myself being a clinician coming into industry is you're walking away from the bedside. And you know, for some people will say, oh, you moved to the dark side. I've never thought of it that way. I actually feel so empowered to be in a role in industry where you can actually impact more clinicians, more systems, maybe even more patients, right? Um, I'm just curious your feelings on that. Cause I know as I talk to a lot of clinicians, they're like, man, I want to make the break in. And it's like, do you ever look back? Of course I look back, right? Like you always want to have that impact. Absolutely. So, I'm just curious um, when people come to you with that, what are your thoughts and how do you feel? How do you respond? So I, I, I really love and appreciate that, that question. And the reason why is because very similarly, I, I used to make the joke when people would ask how I, how I broke into this industry. And it, it's even those that don't have a clinical background that want to be in medical device sales. It's mm -hmm. like, how did you even do that? Because it is hard. And I know we've talked a lot about that on the podcast, um, you know, and I used to make the very bad joke while I sold out <laughs> and got a job in medical device. And, and it was actually a fellow nurse that said, you know what, I, I really don't want to hear you say it that way, because that's not really what you did. And to your point, Stephanie, it is, I, I'm still making a major impact across healthcare and with patients by having the ability to choose who I get to go work with and who I get to go work for and what those innovations support. And so I've always helped within my core. If it is not something that I feel like I can truly support and that I feel like is truly making a difference for patients and within healthcare, it's not where I want to be. And then I will go on and do something else. So I've, I've been very lucky in that I felt like I feel like for m most of my device career, it has been able to support that. When people come to me and ask, you know, well, how do I do this? Or, or what are your thoughts on breaking into it? The first thing I say is it's one of the best things that I ever did. It made, it allowed for a lot of opportunity, not just within myself, but a lot of opportunity for my family. Um, one thing that it did is it opened my mind to things that I didn't even know that I was capable of. You know, again, it was, uh, I was always, with this, well, she's a nurturer. She just takes care of things. She's always got it under control, not really given a lot of credibility to what I can do from an analytical and business side. And it wasn't anything that I ever took into consideration. And so, you know, being able to blend those two things and realize that I actually had some of those skills and capabilities to do that and grow on that and, and allow myself to say, hey, you don't always have to say pigeonholed into what you thought you were just set up to do from the age of 11, then it, it was really great. Um, as far as stepping away from the bedside, the number one piece of advice that I always give people is go for it because the worst thing, get into the per diem or the consulting work at first. And I try to give as many people that express this desire to meet that opportunity. And that's something that I absolutely love about the organizations that I've been with is I've had that ability to do that. But I always say, you know, give it a shot, but don't feel like you have to do it full time right away. This is a really great stepping stone to figure out if it's for you. And if it's not, you can always just go back to what you were doing while you figure out really what you, your next step is going to be. So I, I always encourage it because I think that 
it's just going to open up so many different avenues. I really like uh, some of the phraseology that you just used in that last answer, Abby, because it really resonates with some of the things that we've heard some of our other speakers or guests say, which is the bet on yourself. Like if you're you're at that precipice, bet on yourself, like what's the worst that's going to happen? And that we are so much more than just one thing and and how dynamic that is. Uh, I did have a question that I that I wanted to ask off of something that you had mentioned earlier um, when you were telling your story. But I do want to also say one thing in passing. I found it to be fascinating about your new new grad nurses and we're eating the young. And although I feel like there has been some shift away from that mentality, that's what I feel like travel nursing has been what that experience has been. Um, you know, we, I, we've got about 17,000 clinicians these days and, you know, some of them are on longer term travel contracts. And that is so much of what we hear of, like you get mm-hmm. the bottom of the barrel and everybody treats you like garbage. Um, so I think that we might, we didn't necessarily get over that. We just redirected our attention to, to a different group. Um, and one of the questions that I had, because uh, I was making some notes as you were talking, was you specifically said that, you know, you were talking to your mentor and they said, hey, if you're if you're thinking about leaving, you could do this. And you waited one month to call them back. And those those statistics like that are always so interesting to me, which is one, why did we wait? And two, what was it about that time frame that you feel like was just like that stuck in your memory so much that it's not like, oh, a little bit later? It's that's, that's such a specific time frame for a career that you have been in now for 12 years. Sure. So, so tell me a little bit about, you know, some of that thought process behind I'm even going to call call to learn more. Yeah, so it, this is probably a little bit more specific, um, but. The reason why I remember that it was one month is because that assignment that I was on was right before Thanksgiving. (laughs) So um, it was kind of getting through the Thanksgiving holiday and, uh, you know, getting back into back into my 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 full time, uh, my uh, bedside job. And in all honesty, um, you know, for, for lack of or for fear of making it sound like it was a bad situation at the time, because it really was not. I think what the the true catalyst that had me reach out to Christine, um, other than that, it was just an ongoing interest that I had, and I always intended on doing it. And she was somebody that just wildly impressed me from the start. So it was somebody that I was like, I no matter what, I wanted to keep her quote unquote on my board of directors. Mm-hmm. And I had had a really really rough night um, at the hospital, and it was one of those where just I was walking away or wa- walking to my car. And just said, I, I got to figure out what I'm doing next and got into my car and her card was just sitting in the console of my car. So it's the first thing I did when I got home that morning was email her and went to bed. And as soon as I got up, I had an email back from her. And that's really what started that conversation. So I, I wish I could be giving you a little bit more of a poignant response than that. But in all honesty, I just call that serendipity. And I think it was serendipitous that I met her the way that I did. And she's still somebody that I have a very close relationship with to this day um, that helps provide a lot of guidance. But I, you know, that's a theme I think that you will find as you dig into my past quite a bit. Uh, Once I grab a hold of you and put you on that board, yeah, I have a hard time time kicking you back off. So, um, (laughs) but I think it's an important note to make because a lot of different varying people now with varying roles and backgrounds now sit on that board. And I may not talk to them, you know, 
but once or twice a year. But there's times that it's just like, you know what, I think I know I'm grappling with XYZ currently, either in my personal or in my professional life. This might be a good outlet for me, for me to reach out to and just like really help me get through it. So I think this is a really great story for work-life balance decisions because <laughs> so well. many folks, I think, yeah, each one talk of to us. Me have, yeah, talk to me this week. Sorry, Barbara. All right, well, we'll take a break on um, But we've all had to struggle with that through various circumstances. So whether it was actually work sort of, Sometimes that stress wall or whatever, like just walking to your car and, you know, probably dragging your feet a little bit and, you know, piling in and stuff. So has it, I'm going to go in a different direction. So has your work-life balance, has that all really helped all of that when you make decisions like that and then how you address those things? Say yes. I'm going to chalk that up to a little bit of time and experience as well. So, you know, I think that we, I think that work-life balance can ebb and flow. And, it, you know, if I made the, I made the jo joke real quick just now, like how, yes, that decision at that point in time definitely helped with the ongoing uh, work-life balance. And I, it afforded me in the weirdest way, even though this, that job did, did require travel, which was a big question that a lot of people had with me as a single mom. I said, look, it's actually giving me more time with him because mm -hmm. I don't have a lot of weekends. And I have, um, you know, when I'm home, I'm home. I was working from home and I didn't have the holidays. And so it changed in that, that regard. And when, you know, as a bedside nurse, I was working 50 to 60 hours a week uh, to, to make what I needed to, to kind of like support us both. So this afforded that to be able to scale back on that a little bit. Um, but then I think it ebbs and flows. I mean, I, you know, have worn several hats since then and have taken on various roles with increasing responsibility. And each time you do that, I feel like it does make you have to swing on that extreme um, part of the job for a little bit until you figure it out. And then it kind of goes back into the middle or life things happen. And you're like, okay, life, okay, family, we're going to pay a little bit more attention to you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, work is going to have to take a little bit of a back seat. I think it does go back and forth with that. However, being able to kind of take a look back on when do those situations happen and how I navigated it has been a lot more helpful in that regard. So, Abby, it's been Thank awesome. You. Yeah. Awesome learning more about you and, you know, just listening, you know, I can just picture you fighting to save the lives of your patients and then you fight for your career, right? You fight mm -hmm. for that work-life balance. And um, on that note, um, we're, the purpose in this podcast is to to get to know both you and Colleen a little bit better. And Absolutely. If, I, if I know anyone that's just a fearless leader um, in healthcare calling, that's you. And I am so excited because we've worked together on so many projects for so many years. And I honestly have never really taken the time to get to know your history. So I just popped out of nowhere. There's no, there's nothing to know. <laughs> um, so on, on that note, I think we'll transition. And, um, Colleen, if, if you want to, if you want to take it and share a little bit of your background and, how you landed here. We know you, you we know you didn't come out of the womb of Skender. <laughs> <laughs> I was no 
much of he would like to claim that, oh, like, that it's like, all it's all Dr. Skender. Um, <laughs> so I, I think that probably one of my absolute favorite parts about learning more about you guys is there was a central theme to each of your starts. Like as a child, I was caring and I wanted to give back and, you know, I wanted to take care of those around me. And that's not what I was like. Um, I was I was the child who would ration my allowance and loan it out to people at a 50% interest rate until I got caught uh, and accused of usury. <laughs> so that was more. This is explaining I, a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we were we were hustling even even at a young age. And I think that the first time I my mom's had to sit me down and was like, you can't do that. I was in middle school and I was like, why not? They agreed to it. It's their terms. And that really, to me, was, um, you know, that business orientation. That's always been who I who I have been. And I do want to say that I feel incredibly privileged that my mom in particular um, you know, went from, she's also in a male dominated field. She uh, grew up as a, uh, the daughter of a land surveyor and land surveying is a, that's, that's a man profession. It's always been a man profession. And then she, you know, in the time in which she was pregnant with me, um, you know, started working at a new company on her own and then moving up through the ranks there. And so going through, you know, even high school, I got an opportunity to see a powerful woman, you know, somebody who was standing in her own space, who was, you know, moving up, who was taking, you know, ownership and had moved up to a vice presidential role. And that really was the idea of anything is possible. Anything could be possible if you set your mind to it. Now, that being said, I was also a giant nerd. So I was not the kid that you had to tell to do your homework. Like that internal, I needed to be the best, um, was something that if I didn't have the best grade uh, on a test, if I wasn't the smartest kid in class, like I really struggled with that when I was younger of the idea. And, and part of that comes to the idea of what was I getting praised for? Because I've got two, you know, really gregarious sisters and I feel like the socially awkward one, um, which I tell people that and they're like, I don't get it. But I, in reality, um, in, for the most part, I'm incredibly shy. Um, when I'm meeting people in real life. So what, what I did really well was school. I was, I was great in school. And so that really led to a system that I've had to break down over my entire adult life of, if you are not the absolute best, then you're worthless, which is, we all know is garbage, but was something that I really did have to work through of, of what that self-esteem looked like. So then it is, I'm, you know, graduating high school and I'm going to go to college and business was really the the only path that I saw myself. That was that was what made the most sense to me. And specifically, I was in supply chain management and operational efficiency. There is so much organizational waste, not just in healthcare, but in pretty much every industry. And it was, I was always the kid that was, well, if I need to write a paper for this class and I need to give a speech in speech class, what can I find as a topic that connects the two? So I only have to do one one amount of work and I can use it twice. So that same thought methodology of how I approached school was how I approached the idea of what business should be. We should be fast and agile and lean, and we should be looking to maximize the effort that we put in. 
So uh, during the time in which I was putting, you know, going through college, um, and I will say that I, I feel very fortunate that uh, my nerdiness paid off because I didn't pay for school at all. I got I got scholarships the whole way. Um, but the the final year in which I'm in my senior year of college, I am now engaged to my my now husband. We've uh, our our next anniversary is 16 years. Um, and for people who are like, man, she's got to be pretty old. No, I'm from the South, and we it's it's you know right as your babies. That's where that's when we're we're getting married. Um, so. I'm I'm planning our wedding. I'm working full time at the same time. And my plate was very full. We ended up getting married um, two weeks after I did my final uh, presentation. And I will say that I have very few regrets in life. You know, we make the choices that we make, that the opportunities open to us at the right time. I got offered to do an MBA. That's the only thing in my life that's like, man, if I could go back and do that again, um, my the the person who was in charge of the entire capstone project had said, if if you want an MBA, I'll sponsor you. Like I'll I'll get you in. And I didn't do that at that time because it was like, well, what am I going to need that for? I had been working a sales job um, doing, you know, financial planning. And it really wasn't until after I, you know, my husband and I got married and in, in true Southern tradition, we didn't live together first, um, that it was like, you know, I, I really hate this. <laughs> I don't like what I'm doing. I don't like how I feel about myself for what I'm doing. And uh, he actually had said to me around that time, like, man, you're like, you tell me that you don't feel good a lot. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And that one conversation that had happened in passing uh, is how I found out that I have, I'm what I jokingly tell people is I'm falling apart. I've got uh, enough autoimmune problems that I qualify for disability. Um, but that was, that's never, you know, my brain works and my hands work and I can, I've got work I can still do. And even if I'm not at my best, um, cause I've been hospitalized for it a couple times that I still have so much that I can give and I'm not the, it is not in my ethos to sit at home. Um, although I, I fully respect that there are many people that end up in that eventuality. So not to say anything diminishing about them, but for me, I would drive myself crazy. And it was in you know, left my last job because I hated it. And I'm taking a little bit of time to try to figure out what was even wrong with me at that point, because we didn't have, you know, a great answer. And then from there, it was, we finally get on medicine and I'm starting to do a little bit better. And a um, person who had gone to school with my husband had uh, put a post on Facebook saying like, hey, I'm looking for somebody to help me open a private practice. He had, um, he was a clinician and I, you know, don't have anything. So we'd be starting from the ground up. And it was really, the timing of that worked really well. Um, and that was a, from the very first day we were ever open for patients all the way to a multi-clinician, now multi-location, multi-million dollar practice. And every piece of documentation, paperwork, policy, procedure, that all was, that was, that was my intellectual property. And I knew in that role, because I was there for uh, just about nine years, and at the eight-year mark, I had realized that this isn't feeding me anymore. It's, it's not exciting. I'm going here for the job, but not because of anything that needs me. And so I started really casually looking around to see, you know, what, what else was out there and being incredibly picky because I don't 
have to go. Like, this is fine. It's, it's not amazing, but it's fine. And, um, I interviewed for uh, interviewed and, and got offered a job for actually being a healthcare consultant, um, looked into that, didn't take that. And it was really right after that, that I answered a, uh, job ad from the clinician exchange and, um, Mike Anstett was the original person who I spoke with, and he is probably the reason that I first started at TCX. Um, Skender is great and all, and I'm going to talk about him and how wonderful he is in a second. But really, Mike and I, I feel like from that initial conversation, we connected, like we got it. And this was an organization that was really in an, in its infancy. And, um, you know, going into there, I had done the same amount of prep that I did for that conversation that I do for these, which is I'm doing my homework and looking at research and where are you from and what's your socials look like and coming in and talking about what growth could be, what not just where you are right now, but where we could scale for the future sharing where I felt like in five years they could get to, obviously pandemic notwithstanding. But, you know, this is, if if I joined your team, this would be my plan. And we have this really great conversation with Mike and I talked to Skender and the very first call with Skender, I don't think is going very well. And so I stop what I would call trying in an interview, which is not at all what you're supposed to do. But I was like, I don't know, like Skender plays his cards so close to the vest sometimes that you, you like, he's got an amazing poker face. And I was like, ah, he, you know, we're not, we're not really vibing. Uh, so I'm just, you know, being what is in reality, my true and authentic self of not, um, you know, whatever you want, whatever you want to know, the title of my autobiography. Oh, Nessie's real. Cause I believe in the Loch Ness monster. <laughs> Skender did not think that was as funny as I did, but I cracked me up. So that's what really matters. And amazingly enough, at the end of that conversation, uh, he offered me the opportunity. Uh, it was a it was a pay cut. It was a job title cut, but I saw the potential of where of where we could be. And one of the things that I think Skender does really well is I remember on my second day at at the clinician exchange saying. Um, my goal for myself is I I want to either be a, like a, you know vice president or in the C suite. That is the direction that I'm moving in. And he was like, okay, <laughs> bold bold statement, but okay. And I, between the two of us, we found something magic. Um, my my brain, which is still very operationally, uh, you know, efficacy, project management protocols, um. That is really where I have always shined in, in replicable systems. We need we need to be able to guarantee the same experience time and time again. Whereas um Skender's the dreamer of dreams. And you know, it's it's the great pairing of somebody with that visionary leadership and somebody who's so strong at execution. And our organization from the day that I got hired to where we are now is completely different. Um, who we are, what we do, how we approach things. And that has been, I mean, that's been really special. Being in an environment where you are trusted with, you say like, we need to do this in order to be successful. Okay, if if you're saying that that's what we need, that I'm, I'm with you, has really given me an opportunity to flourish. Uh, there's one story I didn't tell, but is probably one of my favorite ones. So I'm going to sneak it in here at the end, even though it may not make sense, is that... Pretty early in my career um, in the private practice setting, 
I had a team member leave the practice and give me what, in my opinion, is the best thing that ever happened to me. She told me I was awful as a manager and leader. She's like, you you suck. Um, and although I don't think that that was true then, and there were obviously multi- a multitude of in- instances of, you know, us leading to termination, which nobody's ever happy about. I do credit uh, her name, Marlene. I'm not going to say her last name. Nobody beats her up. But uh, one of the things that I would say is that by having somebody say something so awful, which is like the first time that anybody had ever really been mean to me because I'm wonderful. And who would want to be mean to this? Um, so it was the <laughs> first time somebody had ever said something like that to me. And I will say that was really where I started a journey of mentorship and self, you know, self-learning and going through and reading the books and putting in the work and really that that revolutionary concept of I would not be the person who I am now if I had not been told that. Even if it wasn't true, it was the absolute best insult I have ever received in my life. And in retrospect, I don't think that I could have ever wanted something better for myself than to somebody be like, you're bad at that. Cause I, my initial reaction was, well, then I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm, I'm not going to be bad at that. All right, Colleen, this is all making sense. <laughs> okay. so here's what I captured. And, and this, this is where it makes sense, but there is a couple of things that I didn't know, but they also make sense too. So you talked about being fast, agile, and lean. And I would say that's like definitely something that I just love about you and probably why I love, you know, really doing business and working with you is that piece. But um, I also think you're hearted, you're you're rooted in the fact that you understand in healthcare, the patient side, even though oh. you, you talk about your, your autoimmune disease, but there's a lot of empathy, I think, that comes in understanding what it's like to be on the other side of things. Um, yeah. But here's the part I would have never pegged you for is nerdy uh, or shy. Oh, Uh, yeah. So you've definitely worked through that, I guess. But what I what I will say that you you talked about is you always strive to do your absolute best. And I I see that uh, shining through in you, too. So my question for you. So it's been great hearing you share your story is what brings you the greatest joy in the work that you do today? Um, so I'm I'm going to start with if you see Skender and I at a conference and you can't miss him because he's like seven feet tall, um, just look for his little sidekick next to him. That's not really talking to anybody, but that's just like standing there, quote unquote, part of the conversation. That'll be me. I don't actually have to talk to anybody because he talks to everyone, which is why people are like, oh, you're shy. But I saw you mingling. And I was like, no, I was standing there. <laughs> um, so greatest joy. Uh, so I will say. And this is going to go back to nerdiness is uh, we work with a project management software. Um, I am considered at this point now one of the not the best, but um, I think I'm in like the top 100 people in the world at how to design, implement and utilize the software. Um, we've had people who with, you know, project management, uh, you know, PMPs or are a part of the Fortune 50 companies say that they have never seen a project management system that is as well executed as the one that we have. And I have built uh, pretty much all of that from the ground up. So I would say that that one thing is something that I find to be really meaningful. Um, the My absolute favorite, though, is 
I don't take on a lot of projects anymore. Just the nature of what I do is more of supervising the people that do the projects. But um, if you are going to get me involved in a project, nine times out of 10, it'll be something in e-learning. Because instructional design, the philosophy behind that is something, as well as what that means, is something that moves my heart specifically. Um, you know, I know that we've we've referenced before that I, I helped Stephanie on her um, doctoral presentation, and those are the kind of ones that it really has to be something that I feel like is special, that is you know, has the potential to change the world or change what it means to be a patient interacting with that equipment. And you are so correct, Steph, in in having spent, you know, weeks in the hospital in I'm on my second um, ch chest port. I have done over 50 surgeries at this point in my life, and I'm not even 40 yet, that, you know, being able to really see what that's like as the patient experience and feel like I am making things better for the next person who comes along. That's something special. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I, I kind of, um, I, I agreed with Stephanie that shy was not how I would have ever described you, but I, I, I think that our, our connection, friendship relationship started off, uh, because of gender. Um, but you know, I want to make one comment about the nerd and it's, it's own the nerd because oh, yeah. I think at the end of the day, um, as I got older, I was like, wait a minute, deep down, I am a nerd at heart too. And it's something that my friends and I often joke about that. I'm the nerd of our group and I'm the only one that's kind of more science brained and healthcare based. The rest of them are in banking and things like that. But, um, so I think that it's important to own that. And I think that anybody that uses that as a derogatory term should be, you know, punished because it's something that should be celebrated. And I think just only continues to lead to like good innovation and things like that. Um, as far as one just side comment that I want to make and getting to hear the rest of how you got to where you are. Um, and I think I remember telling you this one day, you know, I've had the, um, I, I started working with Skinder and Mike early, early on when they first just started the clinician exchange. Mm -hmm. And so it's been really fun and exciting to kind of watch what they've built and, and where this has gone. And, and nothing against some of the people that sat in or stood in your shoes prior to um, where you are today. Um, the moment Skinder brought you on board was where I saw the change in the clinician exchange and 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 really where it has gotten to be today. And hearing that passion and that drive. So while you you talk about, I loved, you know, there was a great question from Stephanie about what brings you joy on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I think it's beyond that of just like that one thing that you pinpointed, it's more, you seem to find the joy in how you pull all of the pieces together and actually create that network for the common good. And yeah. I say that based on the entire genesis and what this podcast that you've created to be all about. And I, you know, I, it's, I think it's, even though it's not part of your day-to-day -day work, um, it's something that you felt passionate enough and about, and that you have somebody that supports you wholeheartedly the way that Skinder does that said, go forth, because it's something that you're helping drive and actually be able to make a change in the world for women, for healthcare, and anything beyond that. So, I mean, that to be said, you know, what do you, what, what would you like to say or, you know, kind of comment on further as to maybe what do you see in the future? Or are you just not ready yet? And you're just kind of like, here's where we are. 
So that's such an interesting question because, uh, you know, there's there's so many things when we're talking about what direction are we moving in that we're making so many assumptions based on where we are today at this moment. Right. So yeah. going back to my earlier, how did I get here story, uh, you know, telling Skender on the second day that I was hired, like, this is the vision I seal for myself. And here's the things that we're going to need to do in order to support that. And then you don't see the pandemic coming and that it literally shakes the ground underneath your feet. So I would say that it's, I don't necessarily know that I want to, you know, define where I see myself going. There's so many things that have happened throughout my life and career that is, it's looking down and then I see the, I I see that business card, Abby, just like you, that, you know, you, you don't see those moments always before they come. Do I love where I am at this very moment? Yes. Um, do I think I'm making a great impact? Yes. Do I have, you know, strategic things I'm working on this year for my personal development where I want to bring the company? Yes. But, you know, as I get older, I feel not necessarily that I need to work toward a specific goal, but more that as long as I continue to work hard and do my best and, you know, let my nerd, my nerd flag fly. And I do agree that that's, it's yeah. something to be proud of. Uh, you know, there is a special type of person that is a nerd. Um, I a caveat of myself is I read on average about 250 books a year. Um, that's part of my, that's part of my nerdiness. I'm a, I'm a voracious reader, but I think that there's so much of what is possible that I, I, you know, I don't, I don't know that I have a defined where I want to be five years from now. Um, but yeah. I am dang excited to get there and see what it looks like then. Awesome. Well, I think Abby hit the nail on the head is working with Skinder over the last almost five years. It was always let's bring in Colleen. Colleen will take it. Colleen. <laughs> so it was always, I just go on to Colleen. I'll invite Skinder to something if I need to. So it hit the nail on the head because Colleen helps to just make it so much better. Um, and I know magic. I've enjoyed that. She makes magic. She makes magic. You know, she makes really great suggestions and things like that. But you have so many sound bites that you can write so many books. Let me tell you, <laughs> Loch Ness, being real. I mean, I love all the sound bites and stuff. Uh, I think uh, two of the important things that you said, and I think we've all had in common now listening to all of our stories and things, is knowing when to go, which um, I think was actually a title of a book, but it was a, a talk that I heard just a few months ago about knowing when to go because so many people don't even stop to think about that next step. And then until something sort of kind of slaps you in the face, it's like, oh my God, you know, whatever. But you have to read tea leaves and stuff sometimes. So that was really great. But I think you said it more than once and and Abby said it and Stephanie said it before uh, when we had our talk is making a connection because that's how a lot of us have gotten to where we are today were through those connection points that you never even thought would come around the corner and you never know who they're going to be in an organization you know whether they're in your business or not in your business and you're sitting down at a totally different social you know, situation or whatever. So 
reading those tea leaves again, but making those connections so important. The authenticity of conversation of, you know, even coming up with the idea of this, of this podcast of, you know, Hey, I I really feel like there could be a sister series. You know, we're not talking about enough women. We're not talking to enough women. And I will say that, you know, like Abby was talking about of, you know, you've got your board of directors, you've got people there who are supporting you. I just, uh, cause I know we're getting to the end of the time. I, I want to just wrap up and say, I feel so privileged to be in such wonderful company that, that you guys, when each of you, when I first came up with the idea and I'm like, Hey, you know, would you want to be involved in that? that your responses were so overwhelming. There are moments where you you know you're taking a step in the dark and does this make sense? Is this something that that is going to be good? Is this, you know, just because I think it'll I, I think it's needed doesn't mean that the people around me will. And having those people who not just are like, yeah, that's okay, but instead like I am so I'm so excited about this and I would love to participate and you know, how many episodes can I be on? Can I be on all of them? That that having those people around you that are really strong in their support is so vital. Um, you know, it's it's really easy to get lost in being the wife or the mother or, you know, the the worker that you lose sight of yourself as a person. And people who are excited for you as a person to do well. That's gold. Um, so thank you all. Thank you all for being here today, both both my in-person audience, uh, my in-person co-hosts, as well as our audience from the side. Um, as we did, t- and Abby mentioned earlier, we've got some really exciting stuff planned for this year. Um, some really great conversations that we've already got in the works. So if you've not already done so, be sure to subscribe for next episode. But thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you all. Thank you.